Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Aubrey already said, uh, my name is Todd Murden, and I'm the church planting pastor down at Restoration Anglican Church in Stanton. And um, I just want to start off by saying thank you. Uh, you know, whether you knew it or not, directly or indirectly, as a part of incarnation, you have served and sacrificed to bring about a new Jesus community in Stanton, Virginia. And that has not been a small labor. That has been a many-yeared, many-resourced labor. And so thank you guys for um, your sacrifice in that. And, and like Aubrey said, here we are. Like, it's, it's a joy and a gift to, like, be right here, to be, like, a fruitful expression of your sacrifice. So thank you guys. Uh, on behalf of Restoration and all the folks that have given to that and served in that, thank you. Uh, it's particularly fitting for, for me to get to preach in Philippians. We've been preaching in it at Restoration, uh, but also, as you guys have been preaching here, um, it, it's all about partnership in the gospel. It's all about uh, a shared witness as a missionary community to the glory of Christ uh, in the city and among the nations that God places us and calls us. And in our text today, we find ourselves in the heart of the letter. Um, the Apostle Paul is laying out his primary concerns for the church in regards to its pressures from the outside, but also from the possible concern of its internal corruption from the inside. So those are always kind of the, the danger zones, really, of any organization is pressure from the outside, corruption on the inside. And he's particularly going to focus on the integrity the internal integrity of the church here in Philippians 1 through 4. And I think as we chew on this text, what we'll find is that the, the greatest concern and threat and uh, weakness of the church is not the wider culture, uh, but it is, in fact, the church itself. That we would actually not display towards one another and out into the world the gospel, that we wouldn't embody the servanthood of Christ. Uh, that is actually uh, the greatest concern and threat for us is our own uh, selfish ambitions and rivalries and conceits, as Paul calls it. And so the, the greatest opportunity for us then in witnessing to the world isn't how shiny, bright, or sparkly a church can be in its talent or skill set, but in how authentically servant-hearted we are together and out then into the world. Uh, because a church that does not take a unified posture and attitude of servanthood is not actually embodying the gospel. We're not actually giving an authentic, we're not representing God the way that God has represented himself to us in Christ. And this is a lot of what we're reaping, right, in, in the West. There's so much dullness and damage, and there's so much of a death blow to our witness because we have lorded rather than served. Uh, my wife and I, like Aubrey said, went to Virginia Tech. Uh, my wife, Becca, is her name. You should know her name. She's got a great name. Uh, but So this is a bit of a homecoming for us, um, and I've uh, been all over the state of Virginia for various things various, uh, throughout my time in college. Uh, one of them was serving at a Christian camp in Rockbridge County. I worked there for a whole summer after my sophomore year of college, and uh, anyone who's worked at a camp knows that the first couple weeks before campers arrive is all about like preparation and getting everything ready for when the hundreds of campers come on and destroy everything. Uh, so myself and another intern were helping the guest services coordinator, our boss, put in new outdoor basketball hoops. 
And these were really, really nice basketball goals. Our, our boss, Peter, was very excited about them. They were like the gorilla goal glass backboard adjustable meant to withstand the beating of hundreds of teenagers slamming on them for years on end type of quality. And the morning after we poured the concrete for the base of this goal, and we were going to put the goals up, the other intern was going through the box, and he kind of lifts up the box, and all this rebar falls out of the box. And he's like, uh, Peter, what, what, what was all this rebar for? And Peter goes gorilla. He starts stringing together phrases that are not suitable for an environment like this. And slamming rebar on the ground, he had forgotten to put the rebar in the concrete to reinforce it. And so he knew that the kind of strain, pressure, and stress that these goals were going to be under meant that without the rebar, he had just ruined really expensive recreational equipment. Or he had at least set it up for an early failure. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to address for us. Paul knows that if the church is going to witness to the glory of the gospel, if people on the outside are going to learn to find ultimate joy in Christ through this community, then the internal integrity of the church has to be able to withstand the stress of that witness. It needs rebar-reinforced unity, and that rebar is a radical, wholehearted commitment to humble servanthood. It is the primary artery, it is the gateway through which the kingdom of God flows. It is the gate, low gate through which we are invited to enter the kingdom. And Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4 gives us a kind of three-part outline for what it is to put on this ethic, what it is to clothe ourselves in Christ. Uh, it kind of has this root, branch, and fruit breakdown from verses 1 to 4. So we, we receive the comfort and the consolations of the gospel. That's the root. The branch is through the mind of Christ, putting on the servanthood of Christ. And then the fruit then is that life of Christ, that counting others greater than ourselves in humility. So we'll take each of those kind of in turn as we go. Um, so the root here. Uh, our first and the most essential part of our unified witness to the gospel begins in and is sustained by our enjoyment of our union with Christ. This is what verse 1 is all about. This is why we announce the encouragement and comfort of the gospel week in and week out in our gathered worship together. This is why we come to the table of remembrance and participation through the bread and wine. This is why we set our lives apart in prayer and learning to feed the endurance of our servanthood through the consolations of Christ. That that needs to be the ongoing reality of the roots of who we are, is soaking up the encouragement and comfort of the gospel in Christ. And Paul's doing something very similar that he did in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where he says to the Corinthians, Our hearts are wide open to you. You are not restricted or limited by us. You're restricted by your own affections. Widen your hearts also. And so here in Philippians 2, Paul isn't just inviting them to widen their hearts. He is actively provoking in love their affections. He is trying to breathe on the coals of their faith to stoke the fire of the love of God for a costly obedience out into the world. 
That is what he's doing through these verses, or through verse 1. He's trying to hold out to them all the jewels of the gospel, that everything is yes and amen for them in Christ, that everything in its eternally enduring new creation life is already theirs through faith in Christ, that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is completely, entirely, in his person and work, inclined towards them in love to redeem them out of sin and death. That there is a consolation for every circumstance and there is redemption for every cell of our bodies. That is the comfort of the gospel. And out of that comfort, we draw up the vitality and endurance for our missional potency in the, in the world. If we're, gonna, uh, if we're not experiencing that comfort, if that's something that is not an ongoing reality for us, and that's going to be all of us at different times, right? Every day is going to be up and down of receiving and enjoying our union with Christ. But get some eyes on that. Wonder why you're not experiencing the encouragement and comfort of the gospel. Find good counselors, good pastors, good friends who can come alongside you and pray into the comfort and encouragement of Christ with you and for you because it's absolutely essential for our witness in the world. It's absolutely essential in terms of embodying the servanthood of Christ together. And so those living waters of the consolation of the gospel are meant to flow out into the church and the world. As we experience them, they flow out, they move us to a costly obedience. And this is where verse 2 picks up. Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, Paul's kind of train wreck, redundant piling up of repeated ideas here is meant to give us the intensity of his heart, of the importance of this call that you can't skip over this. You can't just overlook the life of your mind, that the life of your, your mind is the gateway to a renewed behavior, right? So we let the gospel inform who we are, and this isn't just like a cerebral activity for people who really like books. Mind here is not at the exclusion of our feelings, but it is often and sometimes contrary to them, that the comfort of the gospel might seem imaginatively impossible to us at different times. And the hardwood of the cross is meant to be the visible testimony of the love of God to us in all circumstances. And we need to renew our minds continually about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. And so it's with the strength of those consolations that we are called to pursue a singularity of mindset. There, there is one line of thinking that we are to adopt. There is one door, one primary artery through which the life of the kingdom flows into our lives and through, out through our lives. All of our relationships and desires and hurts and pains are meant to be filtered through one way of thinking. It is very simple. And it is very hard. Because this new way of thinking, this new mindset is contrary to our default prideful way of operating. To look out for our neighbor is not our most natural inclination in our sin. 
This is why repentance is so important. It's our greatest gift as the people of God, to put off one mindset in pursuit, to put on another mindset in pursuit. And we're free to do that. Christ has provided every way for us to turn and have a new thought, to have a new life. And so this way of being in the world and pursuing life in the world through servanthood is the only attitude strong enough to carry the weight of our witness to the glory of Christ. And it's actually the only thing that is authentically witnessing to the gospel because the gospel is the servanthood of Christ. And Paul's going to sing that full song of the humble servanthood of Jesus in verses 5 to 11. But before he kind of unfurls that masterpiece, he teases out a few practical things for us in verses 3 and 4. And so verse 3 says that we are to do nothing out of rivalry and conceit. There's no square inch, no room for it. There's no compromise with this prideful rivalry and conceit in ourselves. There's no room for the in, or in the inn for our pirating, self-promoting selfishness. There's just no compromise with it. Uh, Becca was vacuuming our house uh, one time. It's not the only time. Um, and uh, we split those duties, though. Don't worry, guys. Anyway. And uh, as she got to the front corner of our house where our shoe bin was, she was vacuuming around there. And all of a sudden, all these yellow jackets started pouring into our house. And she just stood there. She let them sting her. I sat there. I let them land on me, crawl up my nose, and then we just went about our lives. No, 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 no. We did not do that. That is not what we did. Becca screamed and ran outside. I ran upstairs and got long pants, a hoodie, ski goggles, gloves, a vacuum cleaner, and a caulk gun to suck up those stingers and to seal up their hole and how they were getting in the house. They had built a nest into our wonderful 1880s wood-paneled farmhouse, and Becca had knocked the trim just right such that they were aggravated and had access to the rest of our house. And this is how we need to view and act towards our overinflated, prideful selves. It doesn't matter how talented we are, how shiny or witty, how much better we think we are than other people, whether that's because we're good at playing the religious game or because we're good at deconstructing it. There is no place for it among the people of God. It is yellow jackets in the wall of our soul. And so when those thoughts of better than or more important than begin to fly in our hearts and they're often wearing some kind of mask that makes them convincing to us, we need to swat those suckers away. We need to get them out of the house. There is nothing, nothing, no ground, no room for that in representing Christ. And so positively then, the second half of this verse and into verse 4 calls us to pursue one framework, one way of thinking in our lives and into the world. In humility, we are called to count others as more significant than ourselves as we pursue and make room for their interests. This is what citizenship in the kingdom of God is like because it is how the king himself has acted and is building his kingdom. And if we want to be a part of that kingdom, 
then this is what we participate in building. Humble servanthood. Uh, I was recently watching the Netflix docudrama uh, Quarterback, which is Peyton Manning's uh, little Netflix baby. Uh, It follows the 2022 NFL seasons of Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota, and Patrick Mahomes. It's fun. It's well-made. And after the first episode of this series, I was feeling pretty judgy uh, towards Kirk Cousins. No offense if you're Minnesota Vikings fans. Uh, He's the Minnesota Vikings quarterback. Um, But he kind of has a little bit of like a subtle uh, Christian cringe vibe to him. This is totally me. This might be my own yellow jackets. And so... I acknowledge that, but when you juxtapose him, especially to Patrick Mahomes, who's like this smooth superstar, he's kind of like, you know. (laughs) I hope Kirk doesn't ever hear this. (laughs) Don't ever tell him about this, if you know him. Anyway, in the second episode, though, uh, from his last season, from 2022, they feature this game where the Vikings go and play the Washington Commanders. And that's important because Kirk Cousins came from the Commanders, had been traded from them, so it's a little bit of a homecoming for him. And after the game, as they do, all the players and coaches are walking around on the field, and Kirk runs into one of the sideline chain crew guys, and he says, look who it is. And he gives them a big hug. And as they're hugging... The chain crew guy says, I beat the cancer. And Kirk is like, oh, man, praise God. Praise God. And he hugs him again. It's this tender moment that Peyton Manning thought was a good idea to include. And this little mini drama is a part of the central drama of the Christian ethic that unifies the witness of the church and gives it resiliency and potency in the world. That no matter what role you have, no matter your skill set or your popularity, your pay, whether you're a top-tier professional athlete wearing a name on the back of your jersey, or whether you're in an unnamed penny on the sidelines, your life is valuable and worth knowing and worth fighting for and should be considered as a part essential of the community. It is the gospel made visible because the king of glory counted our lost and sidelined lives as significant and valuable enough to walk off the field of God's eternal glory and to embrace us and to redeem us out of sin and death and to call us into a lifetime of servanthood and the humility of Christ. And so contrary to the dominant ways of thinking and being in the world, contrary to the various hegemonies of the world, to use a somewhat popular intellectual word, I guess, uh, and that's a little bit of a play of what Paul is doing here. There's a semantic play with the word count in Philippians uh, 2.3. That word count has a semantic range as our word with, it shares with hegemony. And so contrary to the various hegemonies of the world, whether that's the dominating power of first century Rome or the zero-sum game of expressive individualism or modern evolutionary theory or even conservative traditionalism, which subjects the self to the community, all of those, which are a loss of self by the powerful, contrary to that, humility reigns in the kingdom of God. 
Christ's kingdom is built on a hegemony of humility. And the unique reality of the power of humility is that it both deconstructs our overinflated false selves while simultaneously fulfilling our desires in Christ and carrying us forward in the new life of servanthood. This is the only way of being in the world and being with God that can bear up under the weight and glory of witnessing to the gospel in all of its unity and holiness. And so if Harrisonburg and Stanton are going to get a glimpse and a taste of Christ, and if that witness is going to last, then we need to arm ourselves with the commitment of humble servanthood in all things. Every person, every relationship, every hurt, every criticism, every brokenness is received through and lived out into the humble servanthood of Christ. And so how do you respond when people criticize you? Do the yellow jackets fly? How's your marriage doing? Is every room in your house being defined by the humble servanthood of Jesus? How, how are you on your sports team or in your classroom? Is it just an opportunity for you to swagger or to make fun of other people? Or is it an opportunity to serve your classmates, your teachers, your friends? This is the opportunity we have because Christ has served us in the great saving acts of God. He is serving us by the power of the Spirit and in prayer. And he will serve us on into the new heavens, the new earth forever. And we get to receive his comfort and learn to walk in it now and into the new creation. Let's pray.